Shalom Aleichem from the Yiddish Book Center. I'm Emma Morgenstern. Today I'm speaking with Eric Greenberg Anju, the director of the 2011 documentary The Klasmatics on Holy Ground. We'll be screening the documentary on Wednesday, July 11th as part of the Yidstock Music Festival at the Yiddish Book Center. Eric, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Um, so, first of all, I just wanted to give you a nice big yasher koyach for this fantastic film about the klezmatics. Um You can really tell it's a labor of love when you're watching it. Um, it. So, how long did it take you to make the film? You know, at this point, I've answered that question so many times, I'm not sure whether the answer is any more truthful, but <laughs> memory has it that about four and a half years from conception really from sitting down with a band deciding that the movie was going to happen and the roots of fundraising till the actual delivery of the film to a film festival was was four and a half years. Wow, wow. So um, with all of the klezmer and Yiddish and Jewish bands that were out there at the time that you started making the film, how did you choose the klezmatics for this one? Well, that's the great question. Because there's some in the audience may be familiar with another movie I did called A Cantor's Tale, and because that movie concentrated on a seminal cantor, the question was always, well, are you interested in the Chazanas? And the answer is, I became very interested in it, but I was primarily interested by this one character, and the same holds true for, for the Klezmatics on Holy Ground. I was more interested in the Klezmatics in terms of their Jewish journey, their devotion to the music, um, the reinvention of the music, and their kind of reinvention in my mind of what it means to be perhaps Jewish in contemporary America. Klezmer, the musical form, came second. That was just the medium through which the Klezmatics explored their Judaism. So for me, it was always a movie about the Klezmatics and their artistic process first, and the fact that they happened to perform in the Klezmer, with the Klezmer idiom, it could have been rock and roll, it could have been anything. But it was the it was the band first in a sense, and then the musical form second. Right, right. And I bet it was pretty fun to film them because you got to be immersed in all that music throughout the whole film. I I noticed that when I was watching that it was just really fun to be constantly listening to them play. Well, I, I agree. I think the music is, is is heavenly and also diverse, and that was something that was of huge importance to me. I mean, I know that one of the reasons that the film. That has been criticized, but, you know, it's like, well, why not mention all the other bands that were in the vanguard of the Klezmer revival? And my answer to that is because of what the Klezmatics themselves do with transforming the music. I mean, it's not just the music. It's different kinds of music. It's now Woody Guthrie. It's, it's kosher gospel. So I think the Klezmer essence remains at the musical core of their creation, but at the same time, they're open to so many different kinds of streams and forms, and that type of dynamism makes them utterly unique in my mind. Mm-hmm. And what did you know about klezmer music and about the klezmatics before you embarked on the production of the film? I didn't know a lot about klezmer per se as a genre. I mean, I was certainly familiar with it through my own Jewish heritage, through exposure at bar mitzvahs or simchas or whatnot, but in terms of, you know, technical, musical knowledge, not a lot. My real entry point to the band was my friendship with Frank London. Frank had scored this previous documentary I produced and directed called The Cantor's Tale, and learning more about Frank and his influences and his drive brought me into the band's circle. I began attending more concerts, I became friends with some of the members, and that's really where the process kicked in, is, is, is through Frank and, and his 
um, inexorable drive to to kind of like make this music part of his daily life force. That was the first attraction. Did the film take you in a direction that you were expecting, or um, did it end up veering off into some other realm? <laughs> I think both. Um, I think I never expected that it was going to take so long. I mean, getting these projects financed, as I'm sure even Aaron Lansky can attest to, is, is, is a real process. I thought the fact that the Klezmatics were such quote-unquote rock stars or Klezmer Starks were going to make the process a lot easier but the bottom line is is that it, it, it's difficult getting the movie a movie like this done no matter what so i think i was surprised at the length and depth of the journey in a certain way the length and depth of the journey ended up making for a better film because we got to experience life on the road with the cosmetics for a, a, a long long time i think one of the surprises was trying to figure out a way how to close the movie I mean, thank God the cosmetics are still dynamic, they're still active, they're still touring, they're still creative. Um, they're, they're still not at the place where they've created their next album or the, the shape of their next album. So one of the surprises or challenges of the film became how to finish a film about a band that's not finished and even sometimes has its own inner dialogue about what quote-unquote finishing means, whether that be an album or whether that finishing just means moving off into their next musical exploration. Mm-hmm. And um, it's interesting that you bring up finishing because the movie is actually a lot about starting in some ways. Um, because Frank London, at some point in the film, he talks about how um, Jewish music wasn't really a concept when the Klezmatics began. Um, so it's it's interesting to see the transformation over the 20 years that the Klezmatics have been together that um, all of a sudden, you're making a film about Jewish music, and it do- it doesn't seem like a foreign concept to us anymore at this point. <laughs> Thank God. I just want to talk a little bit about moments in the film. It opens with a pretty raucous scene of um, the musicians on the tour bus imitating a Yiddish accent, and uh, there are all these people dancing, and there's a high-energy performance that's going on. And then we also, throughout the film, see them see the band members in gas stations. Uh, we see them at Coney Island. So uh, we have all these really hilarious moments throughout, but they're also very tender moments. So how did you incorporate all of those different aspects, and how did you balance them out with each other? That's a really great question. I mean, I, I think that for any um, creator of, of long-form content or any narrative content or documentary content, the whole thing is, is like, well, first of all, what's your premise? Why are you telling the story? Um, and that has to become clear with the evolution of structure and plot. And then along the lines of structure, secondly, is it's how do you tell your story? Where's the beginning? Where's the middle? Where's the end in this case? And what are the different streams of information or plot that you're trying to thread through that narrative? You know, the Klezmatics are, are really challenging in, in the best possible way because they're a band, you know, by the time the movie's finished, they've lasted for 25 years. Um, it's a group about, I think I'm stealing from Frank here, uh, it's an anarchic collective, meaning this is a band that self-intentionally makes decisions and proceeds or doesn't proceed by virtue of group decision-making. So how is that dynamic and how is that process embedded in creating and actualizing the music and having the music succeed. You have a band that's um, composed of six members. A couple of the formula members of the band, when it first started, are no longer with the band. So how do you tell the 
the story of the band mem- members themselves, of their evolution. For me, another thread was, and one of my attractions is kind of like a, an independent artist, is like, how do you take a non-commercial form of art, that being klezmer music, and make a living at it, and basically beat yourself bloody over the course of 20 to 25 years trying to seek sustenance from this thing that you love so much, but at the end of the day, doesn't always pay your rent. So that was another kind of like plot thread to follow. And then, so this question of, you know, what comes first, what comes second, what comes third, how to layer in all the kind of like fun band moments. I mean, Klezmorum are travelers, right? So they're Mm -hmm. traveling from one place to another um, to spread their music, to communicate, to entertain. Um, That's part of any musician, but it's really embedded within the name Klezmer itself. Um, And so then when we're including these kind of like fun on-the-road scenes, we're including them for a number of different reasons, to show the dynamism of life on the road, um, to show maybe some of the challenges that happen on the road, to show the band having fun, because fun is a part of it, but also to show these kind of incidents as ways of um, elucidating character, um, of showing kind of like how band members progress or deal with certain things as the, you know, the road challenges unfold before them. So all this kind of like thinking goes into the process of kind of like what how you make a movie. Did you learn anything that was surprising during the filming? I learned, yeah. I mean, I think just the, the process of making art is, and I don't mean this, you know, there's this, this Vincent van Gogh definition of being an artist, and, it, and that definition is as such. The artist is someone who is always seeking without absolutely finding. I think sometimes, you know, we, we tend to elevate art as this holier-than-thou process, but really it, it's a gritty you know, down to the earth, roll your sleeves up, dirty process, and and, and it's extremely difficult. And and I think the one thing that maybe impressed me over the, the anything else is like how this band manages to deal with conflict, come from conflict from without and conflict from within, creative conflict, and keep centered as mature adult artists to kind of like come through all the maelstroms and all the difficulties that come with creating this music. And at the end of the day, they are mensches. They treat each other with respect. Um, They deal with argument and conflict for the most part, at least as it's shown in the film, of course, in a a mensch-like way. And and, and so I think I was so deeply impressed by This is not, they just don't talk the talk, you know, they walk the walk the things that they try and imbue their music with in terms of spirituality, in terms of kind of creating bridges, in, in terms of creating a new spiritual center, it's actually the way that they try to govern their lives and relationships. And I think that's incredibly impressive. Right, yeah. it's. I mean, you see a lot of those very intimate moments in the film, uh, the communication between the band members and even the, the grittiness that you're talking about, just the way that they dress throughout the film and... Um, and the hotel rooms that you get the shots of the hotel rooms, so that really illustrates that piece of it. <laughs> not too glamorous, is it? No, not too glamorous. Right. Don't, don't give up your day job and become a klezmer, Emma. <laughs> okay, I won't. Um, so, was there anything that didn't make the cut in the film that's worth mentioning? Um, I don't think so. I mean, there's, there's certainly there were scenes. The, the movie was longer. You know, we, we ended up, you know, cutting about 15 minutes out of it. I mean, at, at 103 or 104 minutes, it's, it's arguably too long as it is. I mean, I, I think the sacrifice was that we're trying to find the right balance between character and music. You know, at some point, someone said to me, you know, can you make this like an 85-minute 
the movie, and my response was, sure, if we cut out all the songs. Mm-hmm. You know, so what's the point? Because the songs aren't just the songs. The songs carry a political, a social, um, some kind of message about either, again, politics, community, whatever the band is trying to do with the music, the musical form at that point. So I think a long-winded answer to your question, did we leave anything out? We certainly left a lot of stuff, a lot of music, a lot of extra scenes, a lot of like really wonderful snatches of, of, of dialogue from the film, but I don't think having those pieces missing um, robs the film of any of its of its strength. What do you want your audience to really take away from the movie once they've seen it? I think joy. Um, I think I want them, and it seems to be from the audiences, I mean, this is a film that's now appeared at between 80 and 85 international film festivals. Invariably, at the end, when the closing number happens, they are clapping and sometimes on their feet. So I want that joy to be a part of, of, of the result. And I also believe that Judaism and living Judaism and living Yiddishkeit is not something that you kind of like experience secondhand, but you have to thrust yourself into and, and, and make a central part of your life. And I want that idea of, of dedication or rededication. This is my pedantic premise as a filmmaker to also come through. Um, I think it does in the film. I think people realize that what the cosmetics are trying to do with their music, with their lives, with their Yiddishkeit, doesn't come easy. It takes dedication. It takes a lot of hard work. And I think that this movie serves as a reminder for people that um, uh, this stuff doesn't come easy. And if we want to be Jews and if we want Judaism and Yiddish to survive into another century and to further generations, we have to commit ourselves to the process and not just think it's going to happen serendipitously or accidentally. Well, it's very evident in the movie that you've been working very hard on this. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You're very welcome. And thank you to you and Aaron and to the Book Center because, I mean, what the work that you guys are doing up there is just absolutely seminal and extraordinary. You can see The Klezmatics on Holy Ground, a documentary by Eric Greenberg Anju, at the Yiddish Book Center on July 11th at 7 p.m. as part of the Yidstock Music Festival. Yidstock runs July 11th through 15th with films, lectures, exhibitions, workshops, and two days of concerts. Visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org, for a complete festival schedule and to purchase tickets. You've been listening to a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, please visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org slash audio. I'm Emma Morgenstern. Sei mir stark und gesund, be strong, be well, and tune in again soon. (laughs) 